Amen. All right. Well, check out this article. This article actually shares uh, this. It says, PBS dropped science film on intelligent design from their website. Well, why would they do that? Well, we'll see in just a second. So PBS pulled from its website a science film that examined the theory of intelligent design after selling the film for two years on its website, and it was airing on, at that time, dozens of PBS, uh, PBS stations across the country. It's called Unlocking the Mystery of Life. You ever seen that thing? Phenomenal, okay? And it's actually a program uh, exploring what DNA reveals about the origin of life. And it also, though, on that program, documents how not just your average Joe, but scientists, okay, scientists are skeptical of evolution, okay? And so they're, when they observe the information on genetics and design, uh, they're starting to look more towards the theories of design instead. So they use uh, a state-of-the-art computer animation, other visuals, and the documentary shows the development of the intelligent design theory and interviews these key scientists and their problem with evolution because they're dealing with the facts of intelligent design. Okay, this is all what the video is all about. Now here's the problem. Uh, this guy, Rob Crowther, uh, he's the director of communications for the Discovery Institute for Science and Culture. Uh, he says, this really begins to smack of message suppression. Remember, they yanked this from their website. Okay, now notice the word that he used there. Suppression. What did we see in Romans chapter 1 that people would do? Why the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven? What would they do about the evidence of God's existence? Suppress it. He uses the exact same word. He says, and he says it smacks of message suppression. And when you realize how much PBS invests in promoting Darwinian evolutionary theory, and yet they pull this off the website. He says, in fact, with the millions and millions of dollars that PBS has spent during the past years producing and airing evolution studies and even training teachers how to use them in the classrooms, you got to wonder why, he says, why they're discriminating against a science film. What kind of a film? This is a science film, okay, that has a different view of the evidence, okay? He says, it's chilling that suddenly in the midst of a national debate over intelligent design, Okay, PBS, funded by taxpayer dollars, decides to, here he says it again, decides to suppress an educational film that provides a scientific examination of the theory. He says, at a time when the public is wondering what intelligent design theory is, listen, he said, here comes PBS deciding what the public will learn about intelligent design and what it won't. Now, first of all, I think it's kind of interesting, the PBS, let's examine PBS, Right? And that is actually good uh, phonetic song because PBS is, if you say it phonetically, okay. But PBS stands for a public broadcasting uh, station or system, right? So I got a theory that goes like this. If you're a public broadcasting system that's supported by the public, then maybe you should broadcast what the public is wanting to hear. <laughs> We're paying for it, okay? But the question is this, well, wait a second. Why would these guys... They, they, they had it there for a while, but then all of a sudden they yanked this film from their website. Why would they do that? Well, I'm going to show you a clip from that film, okay, and some of the animation based on the intelligent design evidence, and I think you're going to know the answer real quick, okay? But let's take a little piece of, uh, uh, of that film there on Unlocking the Mysteries of Life. Let's take a look. With computer animation, we can enter the cell to view this remarkable system at work. After entering the heart of the cell, we see the tightly wound strands of DNA, storehouses for the instructions necessary to build every protein in an organism.
In a process known as transcription, a molecular machine first unwinds a section of the DNA helix to expose the genetic instructions needed to assemble a specific protein molecule. Another machine then copies these instructions to form a molecule known as messenger RNA. When transcription is complete, the slender RNA strand carries the genetic information through the nuclear pore complex, the gatekeeper for traffic in and out of the cell nucleus. The messenger RNA strand is directed to a two-part molecular factory called a ribosome. After attaching itself securely, the process of translation begins. Inside the ribosome, a molecular assembly line builds a specifically sequenced chain of amino acids. These amino acids are transported from other parts of the cell and then linked into chains often hundreds of units long. Their sequential arrangement determines the type of protein manufactured. When the chain is finished, it is moved from the ribosome to a barrel-shaped machine that helps fold it into the precise shape critical to its function. After the chain is folded into a protein, it is then released and shepherded by another molecular machine to the exact location where it is needed. This is absolutely mind-boggling to perceive at this scale of size such a uh, finely tuned um, apparatus, a device that's, uh, that bears the marks of intelligent design and manufacture. Hmm. All right, here's the question. Hmm, I wonder why PBS hurried up and yanked that from their website. Anybody? What did it do to evolution? <laughs> Blew it out of the water, man. You can almost hear the conversation with the web designer. Get it off, Bob, quick, chop. <laughs> Whoa, we made a mistake, right? Man, can you imagine that's all going on inside of us, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, this little factory, this all. No wonder we're tired at nighttime. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, seriously. Uh, but, but again, the problem with this, folks, we've been seeing, hey, it's one thing that they're actually suppressing. They're suppressing this, okay? If that video was continued to be shared around the United States, how many people would come to the conclusion, there is a God? But here they come and their own volition and their own ability, which we're funding as taxpayers, PBS, and they say, uh-uh, we're going to suppress it from the people. Now, again, the problem is the Bible says that those who are suppressing the truth about God's existence, Romans chapter 1, what are they doing? Storing up the wrath of God. Again, store up some jelly beans, do something, get a new hobby, but don't do that, okay? So therefore, as you and I as Christians, uh, where is the only option left then in our wicked society that people are going to get this information? 
It's us. So we need to get equipped. And number two, we need to be out there and uh, sharing it so these people can stop storing up the wrath of God. And so we're going to continue to look at the witness of God's creation. Okay, And that's what Romans 1 was all about. You can see his in, uh, invisible qualities, his eternal nature by what he has made. But our society is trying to suppress it from us. Okay, And what we're doing is we're taking a look at all the different evidences that God's left behind for us, Romans chapter 1. Okay, And so far we've seen just the first one. That's the issue of an intelligent creation or the argument of intelligent design. Once again, the issue is this. Just like the guy says, this is incredible. This is mind-blowing was his word, wasn't it? He says, you give me a break. On this miniaturized scale, I mean, this is way more complex from in a watch. And watches don't come from nowhere by chance. Somebody designs them. So therefore, uh, this gives evidence of God. Okay, We've already seen the first three evidence, and that's the evidence of a universe, uh, the evidence of the solar system, the evidence of the human body. And then last time, if you were here, we saw uh, the evidence of animals. Okay, We began that journey, and we just looked at nine animals, specifically mammals, large and small. Okay, And what we saw is when you looked at the what kind of data? Scientific data, that's all we're looking at, scientific data of these animals, it clearly showed that they not only were, but they had to be logically, intelligently designed by an intelligent creator for an intelligent purpose, right? Okay, and we saw that uh, anybody, you know, who's smarter than a box of hair, how many guys smarter than a box of hair tonight? <laughs> now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm glad you're here. You're in a good place. We can help you out. But, uh, but that's the facts. When you look at the what? The scientific data. This is why our society is suppressing that. But that's right. We left off with the cliffhanger. And Ruth already got the right answer. Uh, the third group of animals, again, we're going from the telescope down to the microscope. We're eventually going to get to there, uh, to the bacteria level, okay, and the DNA strands. Okay, but now we're going to look at the birds. Alfred Hitchcock, eat your heart out, man. This is amazing how God designed the birds. It's wild, okay? But again, don't take my word for it. Uh, let's listen to God. Go to the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Be encouraged. We can take the Genesis account, the first page of the Bible, literally, okay? And that means the rest of the Bible, too, okay? You don't have to make something up. You don't have to bend to evolution, okay? You don't have to try to combine the two. You could take it literally. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to back it up from what we saw last week. Last week we saw he created the animals, the land animals, right? All of them. And now we're going to see birds and we're also going to see fish. And that's going to be our two topics uh, tonight, Lord willing. So verse 20, when you get there, say moo. Moo. All right. And start. Well, you guys are getting into this. I like it. And it says this. And God said. Very key, key word there. God said. Notice it didn't say a blob said. An accidental explosion said. Who said it? Okay, and he's not just saying it recording for us. He's saying it's coming into existence. That's how powerful he is. And God said, what? Let the waters teem with what? Living cells. And let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God, who created? God created the great creatures of the sea and every living moving thing with which the water teems. Okay, so where did all the fish come from? Come from God, okay? According to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God blessed them, the birds and the fish. And he said, be fruitful and increase in number, okay? Uh, and, and, and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth billionth year. Oh, I'm sorry. I said the fifth day. And it was a literal day, okay? I, yeah, that, that always blows me away. People, they, well, could it really be a literal day? It's like, well, wait a second. On the one breath, you agree with Genesis 1-1 that God spoke and everything came into existence. So you mean he can't do it in one day? That doesn't make sense. Okay, yeah, one day means one day, and Lord willing, eventually we'll get into that issue when it comes to the dating game that's being played 
uh, with evolution, okay? But according to our text, what we saw is the Bible says that, listen, as we saw last week, God not only created the land animals, okay, but he uh, created the aquatic animals, the fish, and the flying animals, the birds, right? It says it right there, okay? Now, here's the problem. You got polar opposites. You got worse than oil and water. What does evolution teach? Absolutely we are dealing with all the evidence. We are taking a look. We are being honest with science. You Christians have got it right. God created all the birds and the fish. No, that's not what they say. Okay, you, you guys got to get this sarcasm thing. I'm baiting you with that. Yeah, okay, Bonnie got it. Praise God. Hey, Bonnie, good to see you, by the way. Okay, and uh, no, that's not what they say. They say, look at what all the birds and the fish. They acknowledge that, but they say by what chance and some cell that came from some primordial soup created, right? Okay, and so any person, again, who's smarter than a Box of hair. That's right, box of hair, Don. You got that. I said that earlier. Okay, knows that, wait a second. Those, how do you combine? You can't combine those two. You, you got two things that don't mix, can't mix, won't mix, right? So one of them's right and one of them's wrong. So how are you going to discern between what's right and wrong? Well, I'm just going to, you know, say you got to accept it by faith. Well, praise God, you got to have faith. The Bible says that you do need to have faith. Uh, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. But aren't you glad that he's given us something much more than just that? to answer the skeptic today. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at uh, some of the flying creatures first, the birds, okay? We're going to look at science information about them, how they're designed, okay? And you tell me if they just accidentally flew onto the scene. I don't think so, okay? And let's take a look at this first guy here, the woodpecker. These guys are awesome. Now, they might annoy you, but man, do they prove God's existence big time. Let's take a look at some of the woodpecker. Woodpeckers don't just peck on trees and look for food. Uh, they, uh, uh, in, in, in homes, okay, but they do so, listen, at a rate of 15 to 16 times a second is how fast that they're pecking away. And so if you do the math on that, that's a rate of fire that's twice as fast as a machine gun, meaning their head travels twice the speed of a bullet. That's some serious force on a woodpecker. You ever wonder why they get into the tree? Well, they got that. Now, here's the problem, okay? Uh, this means that the force of stress on the head is equivalent to 1,000 times the force of gravity or more than 250 times the force an astronaut experiences when taken off in a rocket. It's on his head. That's how fast he's pecking away. So how does he keep from beating his brains out? Okay, as you can tell from the graphic. He's, right? how, how, what? how can this guy survive, right? That's what he's doing. Well, it just so happens the woodpecker's skull is extra reinforced with bone. Well, that comes in handy. But then it just so happens that the bill is stronger uh, than most birds. You know, if this is supposed to be chance. Uh, and then it just so happens that it, this keeps its head and beak from being smashed to bits at the very first peck. How many guys would hate that? The first time that you bite into something, your, your lips blow off. You know what I'm saying? No. But anyway, what? So it just so happens he's got a really super duper strong beak. Uh, otherwise, it literally would be smashed to bits with the, fork, the force, okay? But what about his brain? That's his beak. How's his brain survive that kind of force? Well, check this out. Uh, in most birds, the beak is joined to the cranium, which surrounds the brain. But it just so happens the beak of the woodpecker is separated by a sponge-like tissue. Interesting. And this acts as a shock absorber, which scientists say is far better than anything we could ever come up with. I don't know about you guys, but the last time I needed shocks on the car, I just stood by a ditch, Tom, for about, was about 16, 17, got to estimate a little bit, 16, 17, 18 million years, and I waited for lightning to strike that dirt and sticks long enough, and poof, four shocks came out, oh, saved so much money, it was awesome. Their shock absorber is more complex than anything we can come up with. Shock absorbers don't happen by an accident in a ditch. Okay, somebody designs those things. This is inside his head. Okay, then just to make sure the woodpecker also comes with special muscles that uh, pull the brain case away from the beak every time it strikes a blow. Perfect timing. Remember, it's doing this 15 to 16 times a second. 
Okay, so it's all working in concert there. And, and then for even more protection, the woodpecker comes with neck muscles that perfectly keep its head straight. Now, if you think about it, this comes in handy. Okay, absolutely, John. Because if his head varied even the slightest, it would rip the brain right off his skull. How many of you guys hate it when that happens? You're just driving down the road, you know? Okay, praise God here. Right. Okay, and it does this day in, day out, thousands of times, every single day. It doesn't even think about it, and it all just works perfect. How does that evolve? It doesn't, okay? But that's just that. Uh, if that wasn't amazing enough, it also comes with a unique and very long tongue to get its food, all right? So it can make it in the hole, but what if the bug's way down there? Well, it's got a super-duper long tongue. Where'd that come from? Watch this. This is cool. Uh, and, and it's long, really long. So where does he put the tongue? There's not enough room for the size of this tongue in his beak, okay? I don't know if you've been to my house lately, but my wiener dogs are down to about three teeth apiece, and I learned that teeth come in handy not only for chewing food, okay, but in keeping the tongue there. So when my male dog sleeps, man, that baby, he looks like a snake's coming out of his mouth. And I'm serious, it's a weird thing. So this guy's got a problem, okay? He's going to make my wiener dog uh, put to shame. This, he's got a long old tongue. He ain't got no teeth to hold it in. How's, where, what, what, how, what's he going to do with this beak? Watch this. This is mind-blowing. Uh, the tongue of the woodpecker is anchored and stored in its right nostril when not in use. How do you evolve that? How do you wake up one day and not only get a longer tongue, but you say, you know what, I'm just going to put this baby right here. And that's how it's going to work. <laughs> what do you think, honey? No, he'd probably get divorced and things wouldn't go well. But no. Uh, <laughs> and then, by the way, how do you decide to have a super duper long tongue? Is this, remember what Charles Darwin, we saw with the giraffe, he actually believed that the giraffe got a long neck just because he kept reaching for longer leaves, getting up higher in branches. Is that what he did? Until it got long. What? Okay. So he stores in his right nostril, okay, uh, when not in use. But when he does use it, it comes, <laughs> this is cool. It emerges from the right nostril. So then <laughs> comes out, all right, comes out of his nose, splits into two halves. Here's a picture of it. Then each half passes underneath the skin over one side, uh, coming around the back of the skull, then underneath its beak, and then it enters a hole uh, in the beak in the bottom. You can see there where the two halves come back together again. That's just to stick his tongue out. Now, how do you do that? First of all, you put it in your nostril, and somehow you got it to go longer, but then you got it to go up around the back side of your brain, then you got a hole here that comes out, and you're just. <laughs> how does that work? You wonder why Romans 1 says, and nobody has an excuse before God. You look at his creation, you go, there's no way that happened by chance. That's impossible. Give it up for the woodpecker, okay? And that's the question. How did this pecking ability, how did this tongue on the woodpecker ever evolve? I don't think so. And at what stage of development could that thing survive unless all of this is there fully functioning all at the same time? The first time you don't have a strong enough beak, you lose your lips. Birds don't have lips, but thanks for laughing. Okay, uh, your brain pops off. How many guys, again, I hate it when it happened besides Mickey, right? Your tongue, you can't even get the bugs. You finally got all the first two right, but you can't get to the bugs, so you starve to death. And how many guys would say that woodpeckers that are either dead or have their brains ripped off don't have babies? Yeah, okay, yeah, it's obvious. Okay, this is the hummingbird. These things are cool. You ever seen these things? Micro machines is really what they are. Watch how God made these things. They're not only fly uh, forwards and backwards, but it does so typically weighing about one-tenth of an ounce. Just... Almost all feathers is what they're made of. And somehow, twice a year, many of these hummingbirds not just fly, but listen, they got a pattern. They migrate from North America to South America. Listen, beating their little wings 25 hours nonstop, 75 times every second, 6 million times without ever resting once. 
How many guys would like to be able to do jumping jacks like that? Never stop, right? You couldn't. Watch this. This is cool. But that's not all. Obviously, that requires a lot of energy, all right? So to give you an idea of how much energy that requires, it's actually been calculated, okay, that if a 170-pound man expended the same amount of energy as the hummingbird, here's what you would have to eat to do that. 285 pounds of hamburgers, uh, or of hamburger, or 1,300 hamburgers, or twice your weight of potatoes every single day just to maintain your body weight because you're burning so much calories. Now, I like hamburgers. I don't want to eat 1,300 of them. And that's just to keep my weight up, right? And that's not all. That's just the, the food factor. Listen to this. On top of that, you would have to evaporate 100 pounds of sweat per hour just to keep your skin from uh, below the boiling point of water and to keep you from bursting into flames. And again, make it high, you hate it. First it's the brain case, then you catch on fire. Can you imagine that? How would you like to have a machine that ran that efficiently? Oh, our Heavenly Father made one. He's called the hummingbird. Okay, and he just flies around. We just look at him. We have no idea. Okay, it's being suppressed. And on top of that, again, that's not too bad. He only weighs a tenth of an ounce. Okay, this is what it is. So again, how could this flying and energy consumption ability ever evolve? And at what stage of development could that guy survive unless that's all fully functioning? First time he tries to make that trip, he's dead. Right? He bursts into flames. And flaming hummingbirds, they don't have what? Babies, Babies you're catching on. All right, how about the chicken? You know it's coming up, folks, right? It's a bird, unfortunately. I have to deal with this. Got to be honest, John, last week I dealt with cows, so it's time for the chicken. Now listen, we're going to apply science, right? You guys say, oh, Pastor Billy, being crazy about chicken, well, never Okay, so let's apply science this time, shall we? Now, first of all, let's observe. That's what you're supposed to do in science, right? Observe, first thing. Now, if you notice, I didn't doctor this up, and this is not some Photoshop thing. I'm not joking. That's an actual chicken, but what's it got on its head? Horns. I'm not making that up. Right? So what that tells us by observation is we're dealing with a devil chicken. Okay? It's right there, right? That's science. Hello. Okay, so based on the scientific data, we have to come to some sort of conclusion. I think the conclusion is very honest. Based on hardcore science, chickens are evil. So let's just deal with it. Okay? Is what's going. Now that we got that out, uh, let's move on to another bird. How about the Mallee bird? Okay. <laughs> this guy is awesome. Listen to this guy. Never even heard of him before. And all these creatures are walking on the planet, and they all show the handiwork of God. The Mallee bird's in Australia, in the Australian desert, and he doesn't appear to do anything special until about May or June. And this is when he kicks into gear. Okay, this is the male one. The male bird suddenly takes his claws and starts making a pit in the sand about three feet deep and six feet long. Okay, it's a guy thing. You just got to deal with that. So he just all of a sudden takes off and does that for some reason. Then he fills the pit with vegetation and anything else that's going to rot. Well, Why? Okay, well, he knows for some reason, he's, he knows this internally, that a pile of decaying matter, it will produce heat. Okay, that, well, that's interesting. And then, once the pile reaches exactly 92 degrees, and I mean exactly, he tells the female, all right, go ahead and lay your eggs. Okay, so he creates that for her. But wait a second, how does this bird know the temperature, let alone exactly 92 degrees? Well, watch this. It just so happens that the male Mallee bird comes equipped with a thermometer and its beak so pre precise, it can measure within a half a degree. Now pay attention, that half a degree is going to come in handy in a second. Okay, so I mean, how do you wake up and decide you got to, where are you going to stick a thermometer on a person? I don't know, <laughs> your elbow, I don't know, your finger. How do you wake up and decide I'm going to have, hey, whatever. So he's got one in his beat. Now, for the next seven weeks, he checks and maintains a constant, seven weeks, constant 92 degrees by adding or taking away material from the pile. So if it's getting too cool, according to his thermometer in his beak, it's got to be precisely 92 
uh, then he'll add more so it'll create heat. If it starts getting over 92, he starts taking it off so it'll decrease. He does that for seven weeks with his beak, keeping it at precisely 92 degrees. Why? Well, it just so happens that a variance of just, what? Half a degree would destroy the eggs. Well, that's neat how that all works out together, doesn't it? Okay, then if that wasn't amazing enough, when each chick does come out of the egg, listen to this, it does so through two feet of sand, okay? You know, if that happened to us as people, I'd kind of think that your parents didn't want you. You know what I'm saying? Like, Get out of here. It's two feet of sand, this guy comes out, okay, from the top. And, but when he does come out, he's already able to f fly fully on his own. Pre-programmed. And we all know that programs that we use in our computers are created by engineers who stand around and they tear up dictionaries and just throw them on the floor. Now, my theory is maybe that's where Windows came from, but I'm not going to go too far. But no, <laughs> what? What? This guy's pre-programmed. How does he know that? Now, what's amazing about that is this comes in handy because neither his mom or dad gives him any intention, ignores him completely, no training, no feeding from the moment it hatches. And yet he knows how to do all this stuff. Where'd that come from? And yes, for some reason, when he grows up, he does the exact same thing his parents did all over again. Again, with no instruction. That's pre-programming. Again, how could this beak thermometer, how could this repeating of parental behavior without any parental involvement ever evolve? Okay, and at what stage of development could this bird survive unless it's all there fully functioning at the same time? Okay, so now, according to the birds, we just read it, came from God. But now let's just add to that, to our faith, the scientific evidence. When you take a look at the scientific evidence of the birds, how many guys would say that they were intelligently designed by an intelligent creator? Absolutely, okay, exactly. In fact, professor of physics, this guy, his name's Frank Tipler. He's a professor of physics. Listen to what he says. At least they're starting to come out and to admit it. And again, what you would see if you saw the whole Unlocking the Mysteries of Life is scientists who are saying the same thing. We can't buy into this evolution anymore. Because when you start to take a look at design, it's illogical and unscientific. Rip it off the website. Okay, but listen to what this guy says. He says, when I began my career as a cosmologist some 20 years ago, I was a convinced atheist. Okay, he said, I never in my wildest dreams imagined that one day I would be writing a book, listen, purporting to show that the central claims of the Judeo-Christian theology are in fact true and these claims are straightforward deductions of the laws of physics as we now understand them. He says, I have been forced into these conclusions by the logic of my own special branch of physics. What did he just say? He said, listen, if you're not a few clowns short of a circus, ma'am, okay, in essence, and you're going to be honest with the information, you're going to go from an atheist into somebody who admits there has to be a God. Again, in that passage there in Romans chapter 1, the heading there in that passage with verse 18 starts with, the wrath of God is being revealed. Our society, guys, has taken over the media and the educational system and all this plethora of evidence that God has left behind for us so that people, even if you started out as an atheist, could learn the great news that God's real, you can have a relationship with him through Jesus, is now being suppressed. You think he's happy about it? You wonder why the seven-year tribulation is going to be bad? I think this is part of it, okay? But that's what he says, okay? He says it is intelligent design, and when you deal with the scientific data, logical conclusion. I'm, you're forced to go into that direction. God is real, okay? But that's the birds. We've got another group, and that, of course, is the fish, okay? And uh, we're going to take a look at some fish, a couple of them here, and you tell me if these guys ever accidentally swim onto the uh, scene. I don't think so, but again, let's take a look at the science, okay, of some fish. The first one's called the goby, 
And uh, gobies are small fish, obviously, that like to swim in uh, rock pools during low tide. Now, what's interesting about them is one uh, species is called the bathygobus. He likes to stay clean, shower, shampoo. No, that's different. Uh, and, and listen, this is cool. It, it can jump from one tidal pool over rocks, completely exposed above the water, into another rock pool. Okay, okay. Now, what's amazing is that it can do this, is when they do jump, they always jump at just the right amount, just the right place, and just in the right direction. How can, wait a second, it doesn't come with the periscope. It's not over there with the walkie-talkie. Hey, Bob, could you calculate the precise angle I need to jump so I don't smack into a rock and flop and die? Sure, pal. He doesn't have that stuff. How does this guy do that? Well, uh, he never lands on a rock. And again, how could this guy know precisely where to leap? Well, believe it or not, folks, uh, he not only, uh, the scientists are still scratching their heads on this when they have no answer. I got an answer. Anybody know what it is? Hey, you guys are Christians and scientists at the same time. What a concept. Okay. Yeah, they're still scratching their heads. Listen, he just keeps on doing it. He jumps in the right place every single time without ever hitting a rock. That's just a fish. Right? Let's look at another fish. It's called the decoy fish. Well, first of all, how could that evolve? It can't. Okay. And it can't survive unless all of this is fully functioning at the same time. Right? Okay. The first time you miscalculate and Bob gave you the wrong instructions. Okay. Uh, you're flopping on the ground, uh, dead, drying up, or seagull ate you. And how many guys would say that goby fish inside of a seagull's belly has no babies? Okay, so let's take a look at the next one. This is the decoy fish. This is cool. This is off the coast of Hawaii. It's called the decoy fish. And it, it uh, not only has a dorsal fin, most fish do, but listen to this one. This dorsal fin looks like a small fish. Okay, it's kind of cool. And in fact, it has a dot on it where an eye should be on the fish. Well, that's a quinky dink. And this just happens that the fin is notched between the first and second spine, resembling a mouth of a fish. Well, that's pretty neat. And then it just so, so happens that the horizontal bottom of the fin is transparent, so it doesn't appear to be attached to the decoy fish at all. Like it's just hanging there. Well, that comes in handy. And then it just happens the decoy fish knows how to use the fin as a lure to catch smaller fish. Well, we're going to learn that. Okay? And he does this by moving it in a specially designed routine to attract fish and can even change uh, the color of its fin if it needs to. Like it's a different fish, different bait. Wait a second, that's kind of weird. How in the world could this fin resembling fish and the ability to use it as a lure ever evolve? And how does this thing survive unless all this is fully functioning at the same time? This is where he gets his food, right? I mean, what do you, you sit there and you're like starving and everybody else is eating, but you're not because you ain't got nothing nifty going on for you. What do you do? You just wake up as a fish. I, I, oh, oh, I got to get this eyeball on my fin going. Mm, mm. And I got to figure out how to work it so it can... And the, you're, you're dead. It's got to be there. You can't eat. You can't survive. Okay? But uh, uh, let's continue on. This one's cool. You're going to want one of these for a pet. I do. Okay? But, uh, anyway, it's archer fish. Okay? Archer fish is, listen, they, not, they know how to spit water out of their mouth and shoot insects down from a nearby leaf for food outside the water. <laughs> oh, this thing's cool. What do you see it. Okay? Now, the obvious question is, wait a second. How can a fish do that? How do you wake up one day and say, you know what, forget these uh, plankton things. I'm a rebel. I'm going to the other world. And I'm going to spit down these bugs and eat them. <laughs> Whatever. It, it just so happens the archer fish has a special mouth with a groove in it. Well, that's nice. And it just so happens when the tongue is pressed, okay, there, the groove becomes a pea shooter that shoots water straight forward. Like that. But that's still all. It also happens, there's a picture of it doing it there, isn't that cool? 
It also just so happens its gills operate as a pump like that, like a generator with the water. And while the tip of the tongue acts as a valve and it opens it up uh, real fast back and forth and it produces an array of rapid fire water bullets, like a little machine gun coming out of its mouth. Okay, now that's pretty cool, period. But wait a second, any physicist is going to tell you something's wrong here. How in the world could this fish hit anything when you look at some science? Uh, he's got his eyes under the surface of the water. Okay, now he's got a major problem. Have you guys ever do that science experiment where you place a pencil in the glass in science class and the light reflects, refracts with the water and so it looks like the pencil's actually bent, right? That's what happens when you put something in the water. Well, that's the problem that this fish has, okay? He's trying to look out water, okay? But as you can tell there, the bug appears to be there, but it's actually over there. So how does this guy hit anything, okay? He's got the same problem. How can he shoot with any... It's one thing just to have that machine gun thing going. How can he shoot with accuracy? He's always going to be off. Well, listen to this. Uh, there's another picture of him doing it. Uh, nobody knows why. And he doesn't care, apparently. Uh, he just keeps doing it anyway, every day. Wouldn't I, this would be awesome. Hey, you ever get those guests that you're dead tired, you've got to work the next day, but they don't leave? If you had one of these babies on the coffee table, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what to do. You train it right. You know, you've already feigned death, and <sighs> your tongue's hanging out, and drool's coming out, and they, they, they're not catching up on that clue. Okay, you've actually held your breath for two minutes, so they think that you're passed away and they leave now, but that still doesn't work. So what do you do? Well, if you train the archer fish, right, at the right time, you go, Psst, go get him, buddy. And he squirts them, and they leave. Jim, you were thinking that, weren't you? Come on, help me out. Yeah, whatever. Okay, but here's the cool thing. Not only does he do it, listen, the archer fish never misses an insect within a range of four feet. It can score hits up to 12 feet away. Now you can squirt them when they're leaving the house, too. Right? So here's the thing. How in the world could this ever evolve? And how could this guy survive unless it's all there fully functioning at the same time? I mean, you're starving to death. You don't know how to catch the plankton. You got to eat these insects. Right? How, what do you, what do you, it, anyway, you guys know where I'm going. <laughs> Give me a break, right? This is why the scripture says everybody on the planet is without a rag of excuse. You should know that God exists. You take a look at the science of everything that God's made it. Now we're getting closer, we're down smaller. Uh, now even down to the fish, and it shows that it had to be intelligently designed by an intelligent creator, right? That's exactly what's going on. And Ed Harrison, he's another cosmologist. Listen to what he said. This is awesome. He said, the fine-tuning of the universe uh, provides uh, uh, complete evidence of deistic design. Cosmologist, okay? He says, take your choice. You want blind chance that requires multitudes of universes or design that requires only one? And listen to what he says. Many scientists, when they admit their views, remember, we're, remember what we saw the last several weeks? Intelligent design is not science. Intelligent design is not science. Right? Until the Christians are attacking science, you know, when we try to bring up this stuff. And yet all we're dealing with is what? Science. So how's that not science? But he says this, many scientists, when they admit their views, incline towards the design argument. Why? Because that's where the information leads you. Then why would you suppress that from us? Because that's our society. They don't want people to come to that conclusion. He says, here is the cosmological proof for the existence of of God. It's right there. You're looking at it. Go to work. Tell somebody about the archer fish. Say, there you go. God exists. You know? Or go buy one. Show them or squeeze it or something. I don't know. But anyway, that's right. This is what he's saying, okay? Design implies a designer. If this watch didn't happen by chance, and these things are much more uh, uh, complex, 
give me a break. Uh, there's no way it could happen by chance, okay? Again, you've got to have more faith to maintain that belief than dealing with the scientific information. But that's right. Uh, the next group we're going to get with is slimy creatures, okay? Slimy creatures, okay? Did you know that God actually created not just a snake? He created a snake that could fly. Yeah, get a bat. That's my theory. <laughs> Smack that baby down. Did you know that God created a frog, okay, that actually does have the ability to... <clears throat> Pop out an eyeball on its back. We'll get to that next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. 
And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now.
Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.